0: Well, we're kind of in between series right now. We haven't landed on what our next kind of ordered thing will be. So, just uh, jumping on some different topics, and I'll I'll get into that here in just a moment. I do want to say uh, happy anniversary, Cass and Jeremy. I hear, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, what a lovely family. And, uh, and good friends they've become. And I think backcast to the first time that we met, we had a, a market here that uh, one of our folks that's not with us any longer here had put together. The Strattons moved down to uh, South Carolina, but Jennifer had put it together. And I wouldn't say it was a very successful day, would you? And uh, in, in terms of monetary gain, <laughs> we had some booths set up here with people, they're different stuff, and man, it was hard to get traction underneath of that, and, and there were lots of other things going on, but that day we met, and Cass got connected to Christ Community Church, and we began to have some conversations as she uh, came around to church, and then eventually uh, Jeremy came and began to hang out with us, and they've become such a wonderful, beautiful part of our community here, and they're good uh, friends to me personally, and so I celebrate your successes and, uh, and really love you guys, and thank you for being here and being a part of Christ Community Church. And then I uh, want to let you know, uh, we talked about Nate uh, LaVallee earlier, if, if you're new to us or, or maybe just not aware, if you've uh, been around for a long time, Nate's a big guy, sometimes wears a cowboy hat, overalls, he's loud, he's as bald as I am. And he is a big presence. He's a big man and a big presence, and so you've probably seen him, even if you don't know who he is. Uh, but uh, Nate is also the driving force behind getting all of this uh, lighting equipment in place that we've done over the last few years. Uh was a, a huge help in getting this uh, stage uh, worked out, which allowed us to have um, performances here and musicals here and to integrate some dance into our Christmas Eve service this last year that was just incredible. Having this space allowed us to do that. Uh, Having these lights and things have allowed us to do some other things. So it's one of those, uh it's one of those things where even if you don't know Nate, Nate's influence and service to the church is here with us every single week in a big way. And so he's uh he's really a, a huge part of us. He's been my friend for 30 plus years, and he's a super guy. He's in the hospital, he's still in the intensive care unit. After the motorcycle crash that he had a week ago, uh, there, there, like I said earlier, there are some good signs that he's recovering. He does have insurance because he was between jobs, but he was paying his COBRA insurance. So we're thankful for that, that he does have insurance for the medical side. But he'd also just bought a new house that he was remodeling to rent out, and it was close to being ready to go. In fact, he was coming from that house when he had his, uh, his wreck. So he's got that finance, he's got a family and all these other things, so he's, uh, they've got a tough time ahead of them here. So if you would like to help financially, you can give through Christ Community Church. Uh, you can use the online portals, you can send a check in the mail, you can put it in this offering box today, write a check, cash, whatever. Just make sure that you note in whatever manner that you give that it is for Nate And every dollar that we receive, we will just pass straight on to the family to use however they need to do that. All right, so if you would like to be a part of that, I'll encourage you to do that and uh, give them some assistance. Uh, The injuries that he's had, which included a stroke after the accident, there's the potential that he could uh, be facing uh, physical rehabilitation for as much as a year. Uh, learning how to walk again, how to how to do all of those things cognitively, mentally, he's he's great. It's the physical side that may be a real struggle for him. And he's a he's a an electrical engineer, a chemical engineer. Uh, uh, he he's a man that works with his hands day in and day out. So this could be a big challenge for him. But the other side of that is. He's one of the strongest people I've ever known. Uh, If anybody can walk through this and beat through this thing, it'd be a guy like Nate. So we're praying that that will come to bear and also that God will be in the middle of it and give him even a greater testimony than he already already has about the power of God and the work of God in his life. So pray with us for that. And if you want to give this morning, do that uh, through the offering box. You can also use those online portals later this week. All right. All that being said, we got Kids World this morning. So if the kids would like to go... Miss Carrie's back here in the back. I think it's in Miss Diana as well. Yeah. So kids, if you'd like to go, you're welcome to. Kids are always welcome to hang out here with us. Um, parents are also always welcome to go and check out the Kids World thing if you want to go with your kid because maybe it's new for them. Uh, you want to take your child and go, you can do that. You can hang out. Uh, all those options are available to you, but uh, you're welcome to be wherever you would like to be here in this worship space. All right, so we're going to find ourselves in John chapter 6 this morning. And uh, I mentioned last week and had intended to include in the newsletter this week an article related to this, but it sort of got overtaken with making sure that we got information about uh, Nate and some other things out to you. But, you know, we're living in what some would call a post-Christian world. Uh, If we look at some of the more developed countries around the world, those who have long histories, certainly much longer than ours. We see uh, periods where uh, Christianity and uh, belief in Christ, as we would phrase it today, was a very powerful force, um, really prominent. And then you begin to see as countries develop and modernization happens that some of those beliefs begin to fall off. And we're experiencing that at a rapid pace in America. Uh, the, The largest growing fastest growing religious group in the United States is a group called the nuns and it's not N U N S it's not the catholics it's N O N E it's those who don't believe in anything not even necessarily atheists they just don't believe in anything now some would say that that's a that's a hallmark kind of of the end times that people are going to fall away that that as we, in some people's minds, get closer to the time that Christ will return and gather his church and those who believe him to himself, and that eventually we'll be in the place uh, of final judgment for all of uh, mankind, as well as uh, what the Bible describes as the establishment of a new heaven and a new earth and eternity with Christ, that this is just a byproduct of that. It's something that the scripture does talk about, That 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 it will be harder for people to believe. Also, the Bible says that in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh, and there will be a great resurgence, a great reawakening. Uh, There are some who who would say, and I don't think it's unfair, that maybe the church has just kind of failed in its mission to share the gospel, to spread the good news, uh, we spend a lot of time in modern American church going other places, investing funds in other places around the world to share the gospel. And that certainly is part of our mission as described in the book of Acts to go uh, uh, first to our, our own community and, and then to a little bit larger community and then to, a, to our country and then to the ends of the earth is the way that it's described in sharing the gospel. So it's certainly a biblical thing for us to do. But have we done it to the detriment of sharing the gospel right in our own backyard? Maybe. Um, People people have more options today of things to entertain their minds and their time than we've ever had in the history of the world, right? Uh, Any of us who worked in youth ministry coming up through the 80s and into the 90s, we began to see that shift happening in the mid-90s to early 2000s where trying to compete with uh, sports and other activities that that used to not be quite as prominent in our society as they really began to grow, it became difficult for families to decide where they were going to place their extra time or their free time or the time that they wanted to spend to extracurricular activities. Uh, I coached our boys in soccer for I don't know how many years. Uh, we played twice a twice a week, uh, two nights a week, and, and it was a blast. And then like many of you will know who have students that are, that are really involved in extracurricular things, we have the DeCapo Choir that we do sometimes. It's hard to get students attracted to that because they've got these other things going on. And then when you start to mix into that, You know, you want to have another night of church or you want to have another night of family Bible study or you want to have a a small group time. There's so much competing for the energies and attentions of people today that's so different than it ever has been in any time in our society. So all of those things can come to bear. All of those things can play into the equation as to why perhaps in America particularly and Europe, Western countries... The church is declining, and when I say the church, I mean people who claim themselves to be Christians and connected to some sort of organized local community or body like this is here. It's declining across those Western modern civilizations. And yet when we go to places where the church is sometimes marginalized or where Things are not as developed. What we see there is we see the exact opposite. We see the church growing. We see the church vital uh, and vibrant and reaching out to people within their own communities. I'm sure that we could find scores and scores and scores of, of essays and books and blog posts and people's thoughts about why those things are happening. I can't flesh those all out for you today. But there's an interesting story that happens in John chapter 6 that sort of relates to this and might give us some insight really into the more foundational reasons why it becomes increasingly difficult or even sometimes it's just difficult to, to, to convince others or to attract others to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this, uh, this line of thinking really came to me in the last few weeks because some of you may be aware, some of you won't be because you don't run in the same uh, circles. Uh, but here in the last uh, few years, there have been some very high-profile folks who have, uh, Christians who have basically, I mean, for lack of a better word, have renounced their faith. They've come to a place where they say, that, that what they grew up with or what they came to know even as an adult and they found to be very valuable to them and they found the presence of Christ to be true to them and they had a relationship with Christ that they now have come to a place where they believe that that's not true. And they've walked away from it and some have done it very publicly. And so I want you to know that while uh, for some people, and and if you were to go into some particular places of social media and people that are really connected to things like this, um, it's like the the world is falling apart. Like the wheels have come off this thing because this guy over here who uh, I really idolized, he was kind of a celebrity music kind of guy, and I really thought he had it together. Well, he has suddenly walked away from his faith. What's happening in the world? What I want you to know is this is not new. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, people aligned themselves themselves with him, claimed him, followed him, and then at certain times in their lives or under certain circumstances found themselves unable to continue following. And we're going to see that story here in John chapter 6. Let me lay the foundation for you very briefly and then we'll read these verses together and I'll pull some things out of there. Uh, Jesus is talking to a large group now of his disciples. It's not just the 12. It's a very large group of people who have, who have been following him around, listening to his teaching. They've witnessed miracles. They've asked lots of questions. They've experienced his, his presence and his charisma, and they've seen something of value, and they're counted in the Scripture as his disciples. And disciple really just means follower. Follower. Literally, follower. It's possible to be a follower and not necessarily be a believer. And that only happens because you may only know, let's say, the, the body of belief is this wide and you're following, but you've only come this far. You're like, okay, all right, I'm down with this. This is, this is okay. And then you get to hear and you go, oh, wait a minute. I don't think I'm, I i can not do that. That's actually exactly what we're going to see happen here. So Jesus is talking to this large group of disciples, and he says something to the effect of, he's referring to uh, some of the Jewish leaders who were also there, and he says, you know, way back in the day, God fed you, your people, our people, with bread from heaven. But even that bread, even though it was miraculous and it was actually from heaven and God formed it, it still didn't cause them to live forever. They still ate that bread and they died. And Jesus said, I want you to know I'm the bread of life, not the bread of death. If anyone eats the bread that I offer, they'll live forever. Forever. And he, he starts to kind of to poke at him a little bit because the religious leaders go, who is this guy anyway? Literally. I mean, they're like, isn't this Jesus? Like the guy from Nazareth? Who does he think he is talking like this? Who is he to say that he, he could in any way be greater than what God did with Moses and the children of Israel back when they were rescued out of Egypt and in the middle of the desert, God fed them with this miraculous bread from heaven? How could he possibly indicate that he is, he is somehow greater than that? And the Bible says that Jesus knew their grumbling. And this next part, I have to think, is, is Jesus very intentionally pushing the boundaries of the thought of these people. Because here's where he gets down to. He says, listen, I hear you guys. And I understand what your problem is. But here's what you need to know. I am the bread of life. The life that I'm going to give is going to be purchased through the sacrifice of my flesh and my blood. And anyone who wants to follow after me and have life that I give is going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Ooh. And that was exactly the response. Now, let me say right off the bat, we know that Jesus wasn't speaking literally, that people had to chew on his body, you know, get out the fork and knives and have a finger. here you go. How do we know that? Because nobody ever did that, right? It wasn't something that turned out to be a thing that had to be accomplished. Now, this is one of the reasons, hmm, small bunny trail, this is one of the reasons why we as uh, Protestants, uh, products of the Reformation, don't agree with the Catholic Church teaching on communion, the Eucharist, because the belief there is what's called transubstantiation, that literally when you take the piece of bread into your mouth, when you drink the cup of the wine, it literally turns into the body and blood of Christ, and it's based on this passage. Uh, the Reformers, Martin Luther and those who came after him, and those of us who are Protestants, Protestants today, believe that's a, that's a bad interpretation of this passage, because if it were true, In this time, those who wanted to live forever would need to get out the fork and knife and have a little bit of Jesus. But he did not require them to do that. So he's speaking metaphorically that his body, the breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood was going to be the purchase of this bread of life. And he underscores this in just a moment in case you don't believe me because you're looking at, you're thinking about the words, well, he really said, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's what he said. He sorts it out here in just a minute. All right, so he says all of this. And then the the scripture says this. When many disciples had heard it, John chapter 6, verse 60, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Here it is. Here's where he sorts it out. He says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you, no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And then, ironically, I don't know. John 6, 6, 6. John 6, verse 66. After this many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So you see, people people starting to buy in and believe and then walking away isn't a modern invention. It happened at the very beginning. And the pressure point for it was when Jesus laid out Ultimately, a truth that people didn't want to believe. Now, for some here, they were religious leaders invested in a belief system that was opposed to Jesus being the Messiah. And so, right away, if Jesus is going to set himself up as as the answer, if he's going to set himself up as the ultimate authority here... If he's going to say that everything that has come before was a shadow, it wasn't that it didn't have value. It wasn't that what happened with uh, the Jewish nation, with the nation of Israel back in the desert as they're rescued by the hand of God from Pharaoh and all those things that happened in in the desert, it's not as if those didn't have value. They're incredibly valuable. That's why they're still recorded for us today and why we still talk about them and look at the provision of God's hand for his people. But they were shadows, Jesus teaches us in other places, of the things to come, the Messiah. And this is only one place where Jesus begins to teach in this way. There are other. We take the collection of the Gospels and the different teachings that Jesus has where he lays out who he is. And those who believe, believe, and those who don't, they go away. They go on their own way. And so Jesus says here, if we go back, right before verse 62, he says, Do you take offense of this? What if you were to see then the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Where was he before? Right? He was with the Father. He was in heaven. We learn that right from the beginning of, of what we have as the Bible in Genesis. We, we understand this because of this connection between Genesis and the beginning of, of the book of John that we're in today. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Genesis 1.1. We go over to John chapter 1, and we see in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus. He was there in the beginning with the Father. And then he came and dwelt among us, clothed in flesh. And so he says then, all right, if you're so wrapped up in this physical idea of bread and body and blood, he says, what if, crazy thought, what if one day you saw me taken up back into heaven and I went back to where I came from? Now, if you're not familiar and they don't know, that's actually what's going to happen later, right? Right? He's going to continue to live with them and teach them and they're going to see him uh, uh, perform many more miracles and then he's going to give his life on the cross. His body will be torn, his blood will be shed and then he will rise again from the grave and after this they will all stand around and see the Son of Man in all of his glory ascend back to the Father. And so he says to them, without them knowing that this is what's going to happen. What if that happens? If that happens, are you just going to abandon me? Are you so tied to this to this world, to this flesh, to this earthly thing that if I were to leave you, you will abandon me? And so this is the question that he's asking. The The ones who spoke to him just before this, when he said, I'm the bread of life. Uh, if anyone wants to, to live forever, they have to, they have to eat this bread. They have to take part in my body. They have to take part in my blood. And they rebelled against that. Remember, they said, who is this guy? He didn't know what he's talking about. How could he possibly be better than, than what was manifested with Moses in, in the, the wilderness and the manna? And Jesus is trying to point out to them, and he's trying to point out to us today that if we're so tied to this physical world, this physical experience, then we may be ones who come to a place in our belief in God that, that when he calls us to a more spiritual understanding, when he calls us to a greater spiritual challenge, we won't have the eyes to see it. We won't have the ears to hear it. And instead, we'll pull back We'll say, oh, I'm, I'm going to go back to, to and, and this is how it starts. I'm going to go back to what I was familiar with. This is, so let's say, um, here's where I began my belief, over here. And for a while, I traveled to here. Everything was good. I like everything from here back. I'm like, okay, I can get that. I get that. And then I step over this line right here, and, and the Lord gives me an understanding now that is beyond what I knew before, and it doesn't jive with what I think. Or what I want. I go, hmm, I don't want to stand there. I'm going to go right back over here. The problem with that is what almost invariably happens. And what we're seeing in these people here in the scripture, what we're seeing in some of these people today that have been very public about recanting their faith and renouncing what they believed before, is they, they step back here, but over time, It just continues to move in this direction until one day they find themselves back at this spot where nothing that they believed out here now matters anymore. And it all has to do with our connection to the physical experience that we're having in our faith. And uh, this is uh, something that as I've looked at this passage and I've thought about some of these folks here, there were four things that I, that I identified that were true about these people's experiences. And I'm not putting these words in their mouths. These are things that folks have said as they've gone through this process of being here and then over time finding themselves back over here and ultimately way out here somewhere where it was, it was pre-belief, right? It was before they believed anything. And one of those is that primarily their church experience, what they are invested in or have been invested in, is very experience-oriented. And what I mean by that is when it comes to uh, the value of a church service or a worship service or um, even mission work and things like that, the measure of its success in kind of the environments that they've engaged in is... Did it feel like it was important? Did, uh, was there some manifestation of the Spirit of God that I could see or that I could feel that proved to me that this was good, whatever was happening here? Um, and it doesn't have to be. Some people will say that that's a, a charismatic thing, gospel-filled churches, you know, speaking in tongues, healing, fire tunnels feathers falling from heaven, all that kind of stuff. But it, it doesn't have to be that. It can be some of the, the, the paradigm that I served in when I was first uh, as a pastor was, it was very event-oriented. Like, this Sunday had to be better than last Sunday, and the next Sunday had to be better and bigger than the last. And, and, and it's all experience. It's all like people have to kind of, you know, how you get used to something, and then you're like, oh, I need, I need more of that. It's kind of that thing with chocolate. Love chocolate, right? You eat that first piece of chocolate. Oh, it's so good. You Eat a couple more and then pretty soon you're like, you know what, I need like five more of those to get the same satisfaction I got out of that first piece that I ate. That's the problem with experience-oriented faith. Uh, Francis Chan has this uh, great response. Uh, he said he it just came to him one day. Uh, after church, church had finished that he was pastoring, and somebody came up to him and said, the, said, Pastor, I really didn't enjoy the worship this morning. And Francis Chan said, good, we weren't worshiping you. <laughs> right? We have to be careful. That's not that we don't want to be, be quality, you know. We don't want to give Jesus our junk. We want to give him good stuff. We want to give, uh, you know, the Bible says play skillfully. So it's not that. It's not that we we want to have a a haphazard worship service that makes people feel awkward and uncomfortable because you never know what's going to happen. And, well, it's kind of crazy. But there's a, a flip side to that professionalism, that slickness that can creep in. And it creates a shallow faith. Because we're rooted in experience. And you know as well as I do, you take any area of your life, whatever the experience is that you have today, it will be different tomorrow or the day after or the day after. Now, it might be better. It might be worse. But in those times, let's just take your marriage. Your decision has to be, am I committed, regardless of what the experience is like right now? similar to our faith. So I find that a lot of times, like these people in this passage, they were experience-based. They liked the the physical side of what was happening, but they didn't really want to engage deeper into the spiritual side. A lot of times, people who walk away from their faith are engaged in uh, shallow teaching. And uh, that's both in maybe the churches that they attend and in their personal lives. It's just surfacey stuff. It's, it's feel-good. Uh, it, it, it makes me feel warm and fuzzy, but it doesn't necessarily challenge me, and it doesn't get to the deeper things of the faith. The third one that I see is the acceptance of personal sin. It's a common thread so often in these stories. Uh, some sort of sin has creeped into their lives. And, and I'm not saying we have to be perfect because Lord knows I am not perfect. But I hope that I will always be a man who is convicted about my sin and lays it out before the Lord and wants to repent and turn in the other direction. Because I think that's a follower of Christ. But if you've gotten to a place where you, you have some sin that you're living with in your life and you've just accepted it, what happens is now you've made that sin dominant over your faith in God and in the truth. And which one of those do you think is going to win at the end of the day? You'd like to say truth will win, but honestly what I've seen more often than not is that the acceptance of that personal sin then begins to warp what we think the truth is. We start to take what we think we know is true or what the Bible teaches us is true and we start to try and twist it and force it To justify the sin that we want to continue to hang on to. And then ultimately, that leads to what we call apostasy, abandoning the faith. And we see that here in this passage. Jesus told them that the words that he spoke were spirit and life. Contrasting that, to body and blood. His words were spirit and life. And he said these things, and after this, many disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So then in verse 67, maybe Jesus is saying this to you today. So Jesus said to the 12, now remember he was speaking to a large group of Disciples, we don't we don't know. You could draw the conclusion here that when Jesus is done saying this, the only ones left are the twelve. You could you could make that case because earlier in the story we had many disciples, we had the religious leaders having this conversation. Jesus says these hard things. It says many stopped following him that day, and then the very next line is, and then Jesus said to the twelve. Do you want to turn away as well? And Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And this is where the difference is made. I have a a message that I've delivered numerous times that connects to this. It's the difference between confession and belief. See, you can say something with your mouth. But when you believe something, it will change what you do. I could you know, I can bring that stool over here and I can say, I believe that stool will hold me up if I sit down on it. But if I spend the next hundred years just standing next to it, I have not truly believed that that is going to hold me up until I put it to the test. And I think it's so with our faith. A lot of people have equated their confession, oh, I believe in Jesus. And then we gather together and we experience kind of warm, fuzzy, worshipy thing, and, and it's like it's how we want it, and it makes us feel good, it's the music we like, it's the teaching we like, it's whatever. But then when trial comes, when struggle comes, when that faith is tested, that confession is put to the test, is when we find out if we truly believe. And so all I can say to you and to myself is that we examine ourselves and ask ourselves the question, are we truly believers? And I think my my little list there is a good place to start with whether we are or not. Are you wrapped up in the experience what makes you feel good? What validates what you already think in your Christian life? Or are you willing to consider the harder things that Jesus says? Things like Jesus says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must first lay down his own life and take up his cross and follow after me. Anyone who doesn't do this can't be my disciple. That doesn't sound warm and fuzzy. sounds hard. And I think if you're just a confessional Christian who says they believe but hasn't really put it to the test, I don't don't think that sounds attractive. So ask yourself, here's here's the self-test. Am I a believer or am I just a talker? Is your faith wrapped up in experience and what makes you feel good? And when it doesn't make you feel good, you don't want to have anything to do with it. Uh, Are you involved in a community, a church that has shallow teaching? I hope not. I hope we don't do shallow teaching here. Um, But what about your personal life? Are you reading just fluffy books? Do you spend any time thinking about meditating on the Bible? And then last, third, third, third. It's because I got four things written down here, and I, I can't process both things at the same time. Third. Are you living with persistent personal sin that you've convinced yourself the Bible says is okay? Or that you've just decided you don't care what the Bible says? I would suggest to you that you're in danger of walking away from your faith. So then I would suggest that you make sure you're in a biblical community that worships authentically, uh, teaches authentically, isn't shallow. Engage in your own spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting, meditation, reading the word, community, fellowship with brothers and sisters who are followers of Christ. And then depend on the power of God to keep you. Because remember what Peter said. Where else can we go? Where else could we go? Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. It's you. We have believed. We've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And if he is the Holy One of God, ultimately it is he who is able to keep you. So I encourage you, church, this morning, examine your faith. Know where you stand. And if you find yourself wandering back this way, or if you find yourself only willing to go to a certain point, consider, ask yourself the question, am I truly a believer? Or am I just a talker? And get it sorted out with the Lord. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause the light of his face to shine upon you and may he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.